Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on the show, a very special guest, friend of the program, Larissa Gregory, is going to join us. Um, You are going to love... Uh, her content today. Uh, Larissa has spent time both in the um, foster care arena, um, working as a social worker, as well as uh, in um, academics and in the world of education for several years. Uh, and you'll hear all about that. Uh, today, she does, uh, runs her own organization um, doing um, education consulting and um, and does just an unbelievable job with it. So you're going to love getting to hear from, uh, from her. We're going to talk about everything from uh, authentic self-awareness to uh, restorative practices to family empowerment. And it's it's a great, very practical, very helpful episode for those of you who may be having conflict uh, in around your house uh, right now between kids. None of you listening, of course, but if you know somebody uh, who's had conflict uh, between their children, um, and that's, that's honestly all of us, uh, then it's an incredibly helpful, practical episode for you today. So uh, without any further ado, please welcome on Larissa Gregory. Well, as we said, uh, we've got today a very special guest. It's Larissa Gregory, and uh, Larissa is a longtime friend of ETC, friend of the program. Um, but uh, more than that is uh, the head of LG Consulting, and she'll talk more about what that is in just a moment. But uh, incredible person, great mom, great friend, um, and we're super happy to have her have her on the show today. And so, uh, Larissa, thank you for being here. And why don't, before we get started, for those who don't know you or anything about you, will you just kind of share a little more about you know who you you are and, and your work and all of that. Yeah, so excited to be with you all today. Uh, my name is Larissa Gregory. I got my start in cognitive behavior therapy working in the foster care setting uh, with a local organization where I went into homes, went into schools, and worked to make sure that kids had what they need to sustain where they were and that parents and teachers had what they needed to support kids as well transitioned into the education sector about eight years ago and did not have intentions of becoming a school leader, but got into the schools and started to see this intersectionality of mental health and well-being and education and all kids having access to education. So stayed in that vein for a little bit over seven years and then most recently transitioned and started LG Edit Consulting, which focuses on educator, social, emotional health and well-being. There's some elements of it where it ends up impacting parents and students and otherwise alike, um, but really focusing on self-care, focusing on self-compassion and building and creating healthy boundaries so that we can be great educators, care for ourselves and lead other people well. Yeah, so so you've got lots of free time and things are just, you know, <laughs> nice and easy on your side, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and in my free time, I have... <laughs> Three beautiful black boys um, mm-hmm. that I am so incredibly proud of. Uh, we have an almost 10-year-old. If I didn't say the almost 10-year-old, I would get in trouble. <laughs> we also have a 7-year-old, and then we have a 2-year-old um, who's medically complex and has special needs. And so super, super grateful to be able to be their mom and have an awesome husband um, who's a nurse. And so just really enjoy spending the other part of my time, <laughs> for sure. Well, and for full disclosure, last week, Tana, you know, talked about her relationship with Carissa and their friendship for a while. 
I've known uh, Larissa and um, her husband for a while, and um, and we used to work together in the academic setting, and so uh, we were excited to have her on today because I've gotten to see firsthand um, everything she just talked about and get, gotten to see her um, working with kids, and she's unbelievable. So uh, we're, we're super glad to have her today. Tana, we've got... Uh, you here today also. Yeah, and, I'm here. I'm um, here. <laughs> and so last week, let's let's start here. Last week we talked with uh, Carissa Woodwike, and um, it was not our plan to go with alliteration on successive week guests, but we got Carissa last week and Larissa this week, and uh, we talked about self-care and self-compassion last week, and it, it felt right as we were talking before we started recording today um, to start with you know one of the angles of your work, Larissa, which is um, moving toward uh, helping educators and parents with authentic self-awareness. So why don't we start there? When we have the conversation about self-compassion and self-care, we're, one of the big needs in that is authentic self-awareness. And will you just kind of walk us through what that looks like? Yeah, when we think about self-care and we think about self-compassion, they're things that have to do with what? Ourselves, right? And in order to know what you need, you have to know where you are or you have to be willing to clearly name for yourself where you are. And so self-awareness is the idea that you can accurately identify your thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are coming to you in this particular moment. And, you know, oftentimes we have to like glaze over or move past or push past or we choose to ignore what we are currently feeling, thinking, and what emotions that's bringing because we have something else to do. We have someone else to support and we don't necessarily think to pause about ourselves. And so authentic self-awareness is taking the time and giving yourself the space to accurately name how you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what your current emotion is, and then allowing that to inform your self-care and your self-compassion. Awesome. Awesome. So when you think about that for the context of educators, uh, why is that so important for them to be able to, to walk into that? Yeah. Education is a service profession. Yeah. It's serving and supporting people and the needs of individuals, kids, families, parents all day long. And you can only serve to a certain point. You can only support to a certain point from um, an empty cup. And you have to be able to make time and space to fill up your cup so that you can keep serving and supporting. And in education specifically, burnout and compassion fatigue is so high And one of the reasons that it's high is because people don't pause for themselves. Mm. And so thinking about how can I pause for myself? How can I serve my needs first and or alongside as Mm. I'm serving other people as well? It can't always be the long pause, right? Like sometimes there really are things that have to get done and we don't have the time and space to just do us and then do other people. But if we're creating authentic self-awareness for those that we're supporting, we can kind of dibble and dabble into the time that we're providing for them and also do it for ourselves in that very moment. I would be curious, like, can you kind of give us a like super practical example of what that might look like? So maybe even from an educator perspective and maybe just as a mom. So in a situation, something's going on, maybe we have feelings. I don't know. Can you just kind of walk us through a scenario? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the education scenario. Uh, So two students 
and they've gotten into it. They're pretty upset. And I, as their teacher or as the educator, have also had a really hard morning. And so all of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions coming together is going to be really hard. And so I'm going to say to them, hey, you know what? Let's take a pause for just a moment. How are you feeling in this moment? And as you're asking yourself that, I'm going to ask myself too, because I may not be in a space where I'm ready to talk with you all yet. Um, And so giving them some words of saying, you know what, Miss Gregory is feeling a little frustrated. My hands are kind of sweaty right now. And I can feel my heart beating really fast. How are you feeling? What are you feeling? And just giving a moment for us all to pause to authentically identify our thoughts, feelings, and emotions in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, A parenting example Mm -hmm. can be having a set schedule, right? Having the structured time that you expect and you want your kids to engage with. And there's a particular time that something is supposed to be happening so that you can go and do something as a parent, right? We've all experienced that. Mm -hmm. But what's on the schedule isn't happening. You have something that you need to do, but not everybody's participating. (laughs) And so what does it look like? What does it sound like to say, you know what, boys? And this is actually something that I have said as recently as today. This is not what's supposed to be going down right now. And it's making me feel a little rushed. Is there Mm -hmm. something that I don't see, something that I'm not understanding of how you all feel right now about what's Mm -hmm. going on with the schedule? Um, And so just making those pauses, taking those Mm -hmm. moments to name that authentically so that we can all openly share in our Mm -hmm. thoughts, our feelings, and our emotions um, I hope those were helpful examples. Yeah, I do. Sure. I love it how in, in each one of those, I don't know if you would fall into this trap, but I think sometimes I'm so wondering about what's going on with the kids in my care, whether that's, you know, in a classroom setting or in my home or kids I've got over or just, just kids in general, teenagers as well, that I'm not always modeling for them by speaking my own truth out loud on how we can get to the other side of this moment. It's, you know, it's more often than I wish focused on what I need to figure out what's going on with them. And I'm sure if I deconstructed that and thought about it, it's still because I'm trying to fix the situation or change the behavior or get my own needs met in some kind of way. And so I love how both of those examples you framed, basically modeling for them what it looks like to do that for ourselves. So I think that's so helpful. It's a good yeah, reminder. Absolutely. Well, I, I think one of the things that um, I, I immediately harken back to is watching you do this, Larissa, firsthand a lot uh, <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with students. And we worked in a setting where from time to time, kids would get excited about uh, conflict together and, um, and where, you know, teachers, administrators had to step in. And it was fascinating to watch those who were mindful stepping in versus those who came in and matched emotion and just came in, you know, uh, you know, just fever pitch. Um, and the mindful teachers always won out. Like, 
conflict was resolved. Kids were settled. Kids were, you know, went from dysregulation to regulation. There was resolution. Um, and a lot of that came from, the, you know, beyond, beyond the self-awareness for you, it came from this belief in kind of restorative practices within schools and homes and all of that. Um, where does that come from? And how did you, how are you first introduced to that model of discipline within schools and maybe within your home as well? Mm-hmm. So restorative practices is something that I came in contact with before I came to education. And when you're working with kids and you're trying to maintain a placement or you're trying to support um, a family or you're trying to support a school so that a child can stay where they are, you have to be able to restore them to something or connect them to something so they feel that they belong to something. Belonging is something that we all want. And so when I transitioned into the education sector and I started to see like what the discipline policies were, when I started to see the punitive nature of interactions, the provoking nature of interactions, I was like, you know what? There's some things that come from the mental health field that would be really helpful if teachers, if students, if families really understood the power of being restored to something, Mm -hmm. um, the power of belonging to something and not being uh, pushed out when you really are on a developmentally that's not what I want to say, like on a foundational level, like you want to be connected to something. And that's what restorative practices does. It connects you to something. Now, restorative questions is five solid questions that you can use with a child. You could use it with a peer, a colleague, but they do not work if you do not practice your tone, your volume, and your cadence. Those are the three like key pillars when using restorative questions Um, because we can ask a question right now, like, Hey, how are you doing? Or we could say like, Hey, how are you doing? Like tone makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. in that Um, Mm -hmm. volume makes a big difference and the cadence, the rhythm that we carry our voice with people. um, It makes a huge, huge difference. Do you mind walking us through those questions? Those five restorative questions, like what are those when you're, when you're, yeah, share those with us if you don't mind. Yeah, so when you're interacting with someone who has had a challenging behavior or that you've had conflict with or that you've noticed has had conflict with somebody else, so those are kind of the three categories, you would ask that individual, hey, what happened? Um, what were you thinking at the time? What have you thought about since? Who has been affected and in what way? And what do you think you need to do to make things right? Those are the five restorative questions. And, you know, it's really powerful what could happen when we pause to ask somebody, hey, what happened? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To open up space for voice, to open up space to be seen and heard to open up space for that individual's perspective to be known and appreciated and valued. Mm -hmm. That one simple question may be all that needs to be asked. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to the next question if you need to, but sometimes just that one question can change everything. 
You know, Larissa, I think about that first question, hey, what happened? And I just want to make sure that we do tie that into what you said about total voice control or tone volume and cadence, because Mm -hmm. think about the different ways that can sound to a kid. (laughs) Hey, what happened? What happened here? You know, that is one way. And you know, I come in like that sometimes if I'm just not paying attention, (laughs) right? Right. What happened? Versus, hey, you know what? Can you tell me what happened here? Like with a curious tone, a supportive tone, a slower cadence, soft, like welcoming, warm versus like assertive. So I so appreciate the fact that you're like, just make sure how we're coming at them. It's almost, um, if we hark back to a couple of episodes ago, um, when we had yeah. Robin on and we started this conversation about co-regulation. Yeah. In that moment, when we first come to them to restore, we have like some choices to make, right? We can either con- like continue the dysregulation of whatever's happening in that moment, or even through the practice of our presence, our, our authentic self-awareness and our mindfulness of ourselves, through this restorative practice, we can co-regulate them. And it is so tied to our tone, volume, and cadence. We have, um, at, at our work with ETC, sometimes we will encourage parents, oh, this is hard, y'all, to record yourself talking and like hear, and not in like a shaming way. I'm not here to like shame people. I'm just like saying what Tana needs to do sometimes, like hear myself talk or talk in the mirror. Like how can we wake up to ourselves? You know, how can we hear ourselves talk and think about is this supportive is this helpful or maybe is this adding to the chaos or dysregulation that a kiddo might be feeling? Do you have some thoughts about that, Larissa? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ways, and I love the examples that you just gave, also watching the reaction of who we're talking to. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Is it provoking the situation yeah. or is it beginning to de-escalate the situation? Yeah. Yeah. Because we can actually walk into one of these conversations mm-hmm. using restorative questions um, and say what happened in all of the right ways. <laughs> and it still doesn't do anything. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember working with teachers and they're like, I asked the questions and nothing happened. And I said <laughs> them in a really nice tone and I'm just not bought in. Yeah. But it wasn't the right question right. in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so going to the next question mm-hmm. or, hey, what happened? Well, wait, I can see that you're not ready to talk about that. Can mm-hmm. I tell you from my perspective what I think happened? Mm-hmm. And so you may have to kind of play with those questions a little bit. Um, or you may have to go into, you know, what. What are you? What were you thinking at the time? And if you see a kid's face, or if you see a colleague's shoulders drop, and you can see that there's some buy-in to that particular question, then rolling with that question. Um, sometimes we get caught on like the process of things, right? And yeah. think that if we go like one through five, then like mm-hmm. we're going to get somewhere, and that's not always the case. Sometimes it is, and it's beautiful, and it has a bow on the end. Right. Um, sometimes you just have to try it and see what happens, knowing that there's, like, research and some money in yep. the bank on yeah. these things working if we try them and practice them over time. Um, my kiddos have, for the most part, gotten to the place of when something happens in our house, they know what question is coming up. <laughs> like, it's, right. I love it. Right. Mom, I can go ahead and tell you what happened. Like, you know. Um, and here's what the other one oh. needs to do to make it right, Mom. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, which can be like its own thing, right? Because I'm like, no, we're not just we're not just saying those things. Like we actually need to feel them and do them as well. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole different conversation. But um, yeah. So that that's one of the key ways, Tana, is by watching who you're interacting with and seeing how they're responding to what you're saying and taking your cues that way. Okay, so Larissa, something's come to my mind as you're talking, and I wonder if you see any correlation. So I think about um, some of the Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson um, recommendations about like the right and left brain and like how to integrate those through storytelling. And so I'm just thinking about even some of our children or some of the kids of the families that we work with and, and the power of just using our voice to retell a situation and like how it does help them sort of make sense of it and um, be curious about it for themselves. So setting that tone for conversation and letting them just free form through without a lot of judgment. I wonder if you can talk to us about that and if that seems to be making sense to you. Um, like I think one of my one of my kiddos in particular is a big thinker. So if I say, you know, just very gently, hey, Bubs, can you tell me kind of what you were thinking in that minute? I mean, could talk for so long about all of his thoughts and like come to some conclusions and make some connections and sort of help guide us through what do we need to do now? So I'm seeing a lot of power in these. Do you see that to be the case? I do. And storytelling storytelling in general has a lot of power. Mm -hmm. It creates this momentum that like we're going somewhere. Mm -hmm. And when we give kids our voice and give them reassurance Mm. that like their perspective is valid Mm. and we help them come to maybe a more reasonable conclusion than what they would be able to come to on their own. They learn Mm. and they're able to go back to that particular experience and what was said and how they came to that conclusion the next time that they find themselves in a similar situation. One big thing about using restorative practices for discipline is providing an opportunity for replacement behaviors to be felt and lived and experienced. Like, oh, this is what I should have done is the moment that we want to draw kids to. JD was talking about um, moments where we would have kids that had like physical contact um, or like verbal fallouts and the goal of that was not to shame them. We did have to de-escalate it. Of course. And yep. um, that's that's sometimes not a pretty scene. But when students walked away from tough situations like that, we wanted them to walk away feeling like they had been empowered to resolve that in a different way that they had never felt before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or if they had felt that before, mm-hmm that it was such a pivotal experience that they would know exactly what to do differently next time when they felt that conflict rise up in them. And again, that points back to this idea of authentic self-awareness, teaching kids like what are the physiological things that I feel when I'm beginning to get Mm. upset and I need to access these questions for myself. Do my hands get sweaty? Is my heart beating fast? 
Um, do I feel like I have a lump in my throat? Like, what are those things? When I begin to feel those things, that's when I need to ask myself these questions. So yeah, there's definitely correlation there between storytelling because kids are able to, adults are able to recall stories that happened um, and use them as replacement behaviors for next time. When you just said something, I mean, I was like jumping up in my seat because when you talked about discipline, I think about, you know, the way we, we define discipline is to teach, not to punish. So when you said have a replacement behavior, I mean, I feel like that is money right there because that's really the goal is to empower them and equip them when they find themselves in a situation similar that they can recall another way of responding and instead of just punishing them for whatever went wrong in that moment, but really empowering them with the tools and strategies to make different choices. I need that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here thinking as a, as just a human being, I mean, I could put on any one of my hats as a mom, as a, you know, as an employer, as a friend, as a spouse, like, what does it mean for me to have the opportunity to say, man, I didn't do that the way I wish that was done. Yeah. Can we have a redo? Can we try again? What can I do differently? And um, I'd love to just talk about that maybe with the role of a, of a parent and caregiver. Like how do we get, how do we practice restorative justice for ourselves, Larissa? Hmm. Like, Cause you know, how, how do we, how do we do this in a way that's like, just giving ourselves permission to make a mistake and move forward. I don't know. Give it to us. I, I, I hear yes. that. And yeah. <laughs> we experience so many moments yeah. where I think inside on a daily basis, we just kind of drop our heads and we're like, dang it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the first things that we can give ourselves permission to do is to identify missteps versus mm. mistakes. Come on. A misstep is something. Bring it to us. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. A misstep is something that you did. It was not the right choice, but you mm. had never been in that situation before. And so you did your best with what you had. That's a misstep. You missed it, but you didn't know to do anything different and you tried your best. Now, trying your best can be like actually doing something or trying your best is like, I'm showing up the best I can today and this is all mm. I have to give and I really am trying. So that's mm. a misstep. Mm. A mistake is making a misstep over and over and over again and not looking at what you could be doing differently. So a lot of times when it comes to us as parents and as caregivers, we're making missteps and not necessarily making mistakes. Like we have, um, oh gosh, I just lost my thought. We have, <laughs> pause for a second. Um, we have the heart behind we have the heart behind what we want to accomplish. We just didn't know how to get there in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so when yeah. we're thinking back through that moment, using the restorative questions and being like, what, what happened? Like what, what just happened in that moment? And that can be 
because you responded in such a way that like, you know, that you didn't want to respond that way, but you did. And you just want to kind of sit with yourself and say like, what happened? Mm -hmm. What was I thinking at the time when all of that happened? Like what just went down? Like I responded in such a way Mm -hmm. that is just completely outside of myself Mm -hmm. or I'm shutting down in such a way that's like beyond me. What, what it, what have I thought about since that moment? Is it something that I can try and make right? Is it something that I just need to sit with for a moment? Do I need to go and apologize to my kiddos? Do yeah. I need to apologize to my partner or my spouse? Like who's been affected by how I just responded and in what way and what can I do to make things right? with myself? Mm. Do I need to practice some elements of self-care right now? Do I need to practice some elements of self-love and self-compassion? And when we think about turning it inward to make it right with ourself first, Mm. we're able to think through those five specific types of self-care to help restore ourselves to ourselves so that we can get back to who we know that we are. Mm. So thinking, do I need something physically right now? Do I need something mentally? Do I need something to support myself emotionally? Do I need some social self-care? Or do I need some spiritual self-care? Those are the ways that we're able to restore ourselves back to ourselves. And that's that authentic self-awareness is being able to take that time, make that space to make things right with yourself and then thinking about, okay, like what now, what do I need to do? Yeah. Gosh. And I think about what, what that can do for a family when an entire family is bought into that being the practice. Right. And obviously kids, are not going to do well with that. Parents are not going to do well with that at first. But when those can become the cycles, and then that's taken into schools and friend groups and sports teams and dance practice and music and whatever else, you then start to have this kind of community spread of self-awareness and of uh, restorative practices. And so thinking about uh, one of the elements of your organization that you offer, you offer family empowerment sessions, which I think is unbelievable. Will you tell everybody about what that looks like and, and the goal behind those sessions? Yeah, so I love family empowerment sessions. It's this opportunity for us to create a safe space together to feel seen, to feel heard, and to feel valued for exactly where you are. You know, we often walk through our day-to-day and we try to hide where we authentically are. And this family empowerment session allows you to come together with other families who are experiencing similar things and want to vulnerably be open and talk about them and think about uh, things that we can do together to help move towards a certain goal. Different family empowerment sessions have different goals. Some are self-awareness, some are self-management. I did one most recently about parenting through a pandemic, a group of parents coming together and saying, you know what, we have absolutely no idea what we're doing. Can we sit with some other parents that are feeling the same way? Can we talk about some tested and tried uh, best practices of how to sustain this hard thing 
bring together. And so creating space to talk about hard things in a real and in a vulnerable way is the goal of the family empowerment sessions. And one of the things that I have seen since starting those is it trickle into other parts of people's lives. Mm. They may show up as a father. They may show up as a mother or as a child. I love seeing kids like sitting in the laps of their parents and joining in for one of these sessions. But then they go to work the next day and they're able to interact with a colleague in a different way or they're interacting at a checkout line and they engage with somebody in a more authentic way versus the, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And they may say, hey, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling right now? It must be really hard to be working, you know, this cash register during a pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. really listening, you know, versus just like, moving really quickly. So seeing it spill into other areas of people's lives has been really powerful um, and just really enjoy, enjoy that safe space and that. I love that. That is, uh, I think that's incredible. And that's, I think a lot of the heart behind um, why ETC mattered so much to us was being in the room with other people, just collectively admitting, <laughs> saying, we do not have it together. We're losing it as parents. And then looking around the other room and you just see everyone at the same time have a collective like, oh yeah, me too, me too, me too, me too. Uh, it's, it's a really powerful experience. And it does change the way that you interact with other people outside of those moments. And so I love, I love that you're getting to do that. Um, I think as, as we get ready to go uh, today, last question for you, you know, parenting during a pandemic specifically, um, are there ways that you have seen either in your, you know, home practices as a parent or um, professionally right now that, uh, that people are, are winning during the pandemic? Like, wait, like things that are not normal behavior, but are um, helpful practices that are helping them get through this season a little better than other times? Checking yourself and reevaluating on a daily basis of what your capacity is for that day and mm. what your capacity, what your kid's capacity is for that day. We're all capable oh, of a ton. Yeah. Like before mm -hmm. the pandemic on Monday, I was capable of more than I am today. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my capacity is different and it's changed and it really uh, pushes you to be kind to yourself when you can acknowledge your capacity. So the people that I see thriving and surviving at the same time mm -hmm. are checking their capacity on a daily basis and making plans according to that, you know, looking at your schedule differently when you don't have a ton of patience because your capacity yeah. is different that day. Yeah. Um, making decisions that make sense and that support that, that self-awareness, that authentic self-awareness, um, and, and being okay with that. Those are the people that are thriving and surviving right now. And I would encourage all of us to do that. Yeah, that's so helpful. I love that takeaway. I, I was thinking the other day, I think I've used the word capacity more in the last year than maybe my entire life combined. And I think it's because there is this sort of authentic self-awareness that our capacities are different. And mm -hmm. so I appreciate you sort of marking that. I hadn't really realized I was doing it until mm. last week. And I, I surely didn't frame it this way. Um, so I love the permission to just be kind to myself. If I'm like, oh, today's capacity is, is quite low, you know, there's hope for tomorrow. So let's just be honest about today. So thank you yeah. for that, Larissa. I'm going to take that with me. I really Absolutely. appreciate that. It's really yeah, freeing. I, 
I think I've added back into that realization. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, y'all know I am am much more gas pedal than I am brake. And there are so many times during this past year uh, where I've, I've sat down after a parenting loss and just gone, what just happened? And and it was that. It was not evaluating on the front end, like where are everybody's levels at? Like how much can we all handle right now? Um, is this going to be too much? You know, is this a great intention and wrong timing? Uh, and so that, that has been something that we've, we've you know, I, I have now, after a few painful mistakes, <laughs> learned to kind of integrate into our, our daily practices. I think Larissa gave you permission to call that a misstep. <laughs> Does, you know is what? that what That's I heard earlier? I think that was a misstep. Yes, that is a misstep. I love that. Awareness amongst the team. I am claiming misstep. So, JD, that was a misstep per Larissa. So, did we just freedom. have a family empowerment freedom. session right here? Did that just happen? That's right. We're, okay. I think we're that, doing that it right just now. Happened. <laughs> that just happened. In. And you that's know, because I love thing. you, JD. I love you. And that's why I'm going to let you call that a misstep. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Is that so right, much. Larissa? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just another thought that has been coming to me a lot recently is just this idea that sometimes we create chaos in the name of productivity. Gosh, yes. <laughs> and it's just not necessary. <laughs> oh, come on. That's the truth. It's it's just not. And we like have this grand idea of what something's supposed to look like and sound like for ourselves or for our kids or for a colleague or for a work project. Mm. And we burn, 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 burn to make it look that way. And all of the chaos was not worth the product. Yeah. Or the product yeah. really didn't matter that much. Yeah. But we're burned out and we're stressed at the on the other side of it. And so I think another group of people that are thriving and surviving right now are people that are giving up chaos for the sake of productivity. Um, man. Yeah. Man, man, man. <sighs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's where we need to leave it today because I need to walk away and think about that right now. Um, yep, same, same. <laughs> Larissa, same. thank you so much for joining us. This has been so awesome. Yeah. Will you tell people where they can find um, your consulting work and we'll link it in the show notes? Yeah, so lgedconsulting.com, or you can find me on Instagram at lgedconsulting. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks Thank so much. You, what a delight. I appreciate it. Well, again, our huge thanks to Larissa for joining us today. And, uh, you know, we talked about practical, helpful uh, things from Larissa today that would it would help us in guiding around conflict. It would also help us uh, in our own self-awareness, which, which in turn obviously helps us to care for those that are under our care uh, much, uh, much more strategically. Um, it also helps us to care for them more holistically. And so uh, we're really grateful for her today. And I've got those five questions locked and loaded and ready to go to ask myself and, um, and to help resolve conflict that way, those restorative questions. And so I hope you do too. Uh, little programming note, next week we've got uh, a set of special guests for you um, and another big announcement. So uh, coming up in April is the Show Hope, uh, Hope for the Journey Conference, previously known as the Empower to Connect Conference. So we're going to talk uh, a lot about that uh, with the uh, founders of Show Hope, uh, Stephen Curtis and Mary Beth Chapman. And so they're going to join us next week on the show. Um, and uh, you will not want to miss uh, the interview with them. Um, it's, it's a really great 
a great look at their um, founding of Show Hope and their family. And, uh, and so for those of you who have not uh, ever gotten to hear that story or, or those of you who have heard it a billion times, uh, you're going to want to tune in next week to hear about that and to hear about uh, the uh, conference this year. So uh, for Larissa Gregory, for Tana Ottinger, for uh, everybody at ETC, uh, and for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers our stuff, and for Tad Jewett, who provides us with the musical stylings each week, I am J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. Yes.